Hey, good morning. My name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a couple of people are cheering, uh, not because me, but I have blonde hair and they probably think I'm Slim Shady. So uh, they're thinking Eminem's about to preach today. So uh, yeah, that's a joke I've heard a lot from these guys that I work with, work with a lot of clowns. Uh, you guys know them. So yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Um, we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, so a number of years ago, I was in management at a company in the salon industry. And as a part of my role in management, I used to teach our employees uh, the course Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It was a number of years ago, and honestly, I don't really remember much at all from that course, uh, but I do remember one thing. I remember a story vividly because it impacted my life. It's a story that Stephen Covey shares in the course. One day he was on a subway in New York and everyone was sitting. It was calm. It was peaceful, peaceful setting. People are reading. Some people are even napping. When all of a sudden a man and his children got onto the subway. The man came in and he sat down and he closed his eyes. But his kids that were with him, they were going crazy, right? Some of us have kids, kids go wild. And his kids are wreaking havoc on this subway. He seems like he is oblivious to what his kids are doing because his kids are screaming. They're bumping into people as people are trying to nap. And after several minutes of chaos on the subway, Covey turns to the man and says, sir, your kids are being really disruptive and they're disturbing a bunch of people on the subway. Do you think that you could get control of them? The man opens his eyes slowly and he says, you're right. I should probably do something about it. But we just left the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. I don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine how he felt in that moment? His conception of this man was that he was a bad dad. His conception of this man was that he was completely aloof. His conception of this man was that he was downright rude. But all of his conceptions were misconceptions. He had misconceptions about this man. But as soon as he learned the reality of this man's situation, it changed him. It changed what he felt, it changed what he thought, and it changed how he lived. Misconception versus the power of reality. 
In the same way that Covey was staring at this man on the subway, many times people have stared at this passage in Colossians with misconceptions. And there could be a way that you have been reading this with misconceptions that will be detrimental to living faithfully as a follower of Jesus. So open your Bibles or pull out your app on your phone or tablet, or some people like Brad have a whole computer in here that you showed Warren, he's not on his phone. Um, Pull it out, open your Bible, Colossians chapter three. We're looking at verses one to four today. Paul writes this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things on earth. First thing that Paul is saying in this passage is take the high road. Take the high road. Embody the character of heaven as you live life on earth. But there's a misconception here. The first misconception in this passage is that only holy heavenly things matter. This leads to what is often known as the sacred secular divide, which simply put means that all of the stuff of this world, the things that we deal with and encounter on a daily basis, none of that stuff really matters. That your job, unless you're a pastor or a missionary, it doesn't really matter. That economics doesn't really matter. That the environment doesn't really matter because the world's going to hell in a handbasket anyways. And issues of justice, things, injustices in our world, those things don't really matter because we just need to be focusing and seeking these holy heavenly things. This is such a common approach to this passage that there's a famous quote from a poet. He says this, he says that some people are too heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. What he's saying is that some people only focus on these heavenly things at the neglect of things around them in the world. But if this is our approach, if we're just supposed to seek the things that are above, well, how do we do that? Are we supposed to live at higher altitudes? Do we literally just walk around looking up, seeking things above daily? No, obviously not, because this passage is not spatial. The reality of what Paul is saying in this passage, reality, he's saying, take the high road. He's talking about character. He's talking about the way that we live our lives in the world, that there is a difference between the character of heaven and the character of sinful flesh. What Paul's encouraging us to do, he's not encouraging an otherworldly life where we withdraw from the world, but Paul is encouraging the very opposite. He's encouraging us to view the totality of life, to view all of life differently. Paul says in verse one, he says, 
if you have been raised with Christ, this is his way of saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, then no longer live as if the world and its values are all that matter in life, because now there are new values and new priorities as we live. Paul absolutely knows that we're gonna continue living in the world, but he wants us to conduct our lives in a new way that we would be people of character, who live as people of character, that we would be people who take the high road and specifically embody the character of heaven as we live on earth. What does this look like? It looks like the things that we prioritize. This looks like prioritizing giving above getting serving others over serving ourselves, forgiving over repaying. Ultimately, it is a life ruled by the values of Jesus as Lord over all of life, which enables us to take the high road. This reminds me of someone from our congregation, part of our church. His name's Clark. And Clark is a guy that I have a ton of respect for. Clark's a dentist, and he was working right here in Tempe, in in our backyard. And he was working at a dental clinic, and the dental clinic was supposed to be helping low-income and uninsured families. But as Clark worked there, he began to see that the clinic was putting profit over the well-being of the patients. They were using patients for their own financial gain, and they were harming people in the process by doing poor quality dental work. To make the situation worse, most of these people didn't know where to complain, and they didn't know how to make things right. But Clark was horrified by the situation. He was horrified by what he was seeing in the clinic, and so... He did something. Part of the reason why he was so horrified, which led him to action, was the very reason why he signed up for this job in the first place was that he wanted to help this very population of people and definitely not take advantage of them. And so what did he do? Well, he began to speak up. He voiced his concerns because of the unethical work and the practices that were happening. He was seeing injustice before his eyes. He said, hey, this isn't right. We can't be doing this, but they didn't listen to him. And so Clark took the high road. It led him to making the difficult decision to leave his job. He left his job where then he proceeded to go to the dental board with complaints, where they opened up an investigation on the clinic in hopes of putting an end to the unethical practices and the injustices that were taking place here, right in our backyard. Clark took the high road. And I know from my wife is a dental hygienist, a lot of us hate going to the dentist, right? And it's because sketchy situations like this, we got a fear of dentists. But when I hear about a dentist like this, man, this is the kind of dentist I want, right? A dentist of character, someone who will take the high road. 
and Clark took the high road, but it cost him something. Taking the high road costs you something. And for Clark, it cost him his job, which meant it cost him income. He put his reputation on the line. He put relationships on the line, but he was willing to do it. Is there a place in your life where God is calling you to take the high road? Is there a place in your life where God is calling you to take the high road? Maybe it's your job like Clark. Maybe there's issues in your workplace and God's calling you to take the high road. Maybe it's with your friends. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Or maybe, I know nobody wants to hear this one, maybe it's on social media. What would it look like to take the high road on social media with how we engage social media? But it costs you something. It might cost you income. It might cost you reputation. It might cost you a relationship even. But hear me, faithfulness to Christ is far better than compromising for comfort. And I'm sure Clark would say the same thing. Faithfulness to Christ is far better than compromising for comfort. But why should you take the high road? Verse three, pick up. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Second thing we see in this passage is Paul saying, you are secure. You're secure because your life is hidden in Christ. But there's another misconception with this passage. It's a misconception around why we live this way. Why should you seek the things that are above? The misconception is that it's the carrot on the stick. Meaning, if you live this way, If you seek these things, then you will be rewarded. And usually that's physical rewards, that you will gain physical rewards, that you'll experience prosperity, that bad things won't happen to you. That's the misconception. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the reality is you are secure because you have been united to Christ in dying with him, in rising with him, now he is your life. This means you belong to him. Your status has been freely given to you and you receive your status as his. You belong to him. You're part of his family. And the beauty of this is you don't have to earn it. This is the beauty of new life in Christ. And new life in Christ is the starting point, not the result of seeking the things above. It's the starting point, not the result of seeking the things above. This is the very reason why you and I can take the high road and be a people of character. It's not that the carrot on the stick is saying, hey, if you live this way, then you get to be united with Christ. That's the antithesis of the gospel. That's not at all what Paul is saying. He's saying, you have been united to Christ. 
You belong to him, and now you can live differently with new values and new priorities in life. But Paul says in verse three, he says, your life is hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ. Seems like an interesting word for Paul to use, that we're hidden. Like, what does that mean? Are we playing hide and seek with Jesus? Like, we're hidden with Christ? It's important that we understand that word because throughout the Old Testament, through several places and really uh, pronounced in 1 Samuel and throughout the Psalms, the word for hidden is synonymous with security. Hidden means security. And Paul knows this and he's picking up on this language used throughout the Old Testament because what Paul is saying is your union with Jesus is secure. Your life has been hidden with Christ and it is secure in him, regardless of the circumstances in your life, regardless of your circumstances, you have been united to Jesus and nothing can strip you away from him. It's like a black box on an airplane. When the plane goes down, when the plane crashes, the black box is safe and secure. What is hidden inside of the black box, the recorder that records everything, what is hidden inside the black box is secure no matter what happens to the plane. If everything crashes and burns and there's nothing left, the black box will remain and what is hidden inside of it. Some of you are here today and it feels like your life is crashing right now. It feels like your life is crashing right now and maybe even feels like things are being stripped away from you in life. Because you're having marriage issues. Because you experienced being let go from your job and it completely blindsided you because you're in a season of dark depression where you can't even see the light. Because you faced one physical health issue after the other and it keeps beating you down and you're tired of suffering physically. Because you feel trapped in a cycle of addiction that feels hopeless that you would never get out of. Whatever you are carrying with you into this sanctuary this morning, whatever you are navigating in life with all of its, with all of its uncertainty and all of its insecurities, there is one thing that is secure. You are secure in Christ when everything feels like it's being stripped away from you, when you've been completely blindsided, when you are suffering, when everything seems unknown, there is one thing that you can know and one thing that you can be absolutely certain of because it is secure. You are secure in Christ. He is the black box that you are in. You are hidden in him. He has you. And when everything gets stripped away from you, nothing can strip you away from him. It reminds me of 
someone else, a friend of mine. As I was writing this sermon and as I was praying, he kept coming to mind. His name's Eric. Eric's another guy who's a part of our church. And uh, Eric's in, we're in RC together and I get the privilege of co-leading RC with him. And Eric is a guy, man, to me, he's a hero of mine because of his faith in Jesus. Because I've never met anybody who has suffered more physically in their life at age 31 than Eric. And I remember the first time that I met with him. First time I met him, and and of course, you know, you do the pastor thing, hey, let's grab coffee, right? So of course, we we grab coffee. And uh, I remember we we were meeting for coffee, and um, Eric was sitting across the table from me. He was sitting in his electric wheelchair across the table from me. We were sitting outside. And I'm glad we were sitting outside because I could wear sunglasses because uh, he proceeded to tell me his story and what life has been like for him. And I just remember crying, hence why I was happy I could wear sunglasses. I'm crying, right? Crying across the table, I'm weeping like a baby. And I'm looking at him and the whole time he's telling his story, he's got a smile. He's smiling the entire time he's telling his story. And I'll never forget it. I was blown away. Because real talk, if I'm Eric, I'm probably bitter towards God. I'm probably envious of others. I'm probably severely depressed. But that's not Eric. He has joy because of his union with Jesus. He knows he belongs to him. He knows he's secure in him. Eric has actually experienced the very thing I'm preaching about. He's actually experienced the reality that when everything gets stripped away from you, nothing can strip you away from Jesus because you've been hidden with Christ. His life is a testimony of this. But what will happen to those who are hidden? Paul continues in verse four. He says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Last thing Paul says here in this passage is it's the big reveal. The big reveal. Because Christ will reappear and you will be with him. But there's another misconception in this passage. And it's about the future for those in Christ. Misconception is that we get out of earth, right? We get sucked up. God sucks us up with a vacuum and we get out of earth and we go up in the sky to some place called heaven. And we do that when we die. We disappear. And maybe, maybe, then we might reappear. We might be on a cloud. We might be wearing a diaper and we might be playing a harp, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the reality. The misconception is about us disappearing. 
But that's not what Paul is saying. The reality of what Paul is saying here is it's about Christ reappearing. He says in verse four, when Christ appears, you will appear with him also in glory. The future is about God bringing heaven to earth to restore all things. So what disappears when Christ reappears? Sin. Sin disappears. The vices that destroy disappears. The character of the flesh disappears. These are the things that disappear and the character of heaven will reign and permeate all of creation. You know, it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say much about heaven. But when it does, when the Bible talks about heaven, the dominant feature of heaven is that heaven is the place where Christ reigns. And in Christ, heaven and earth have been joined together. Heaven is already here, but not yet fully here. And you, as followers of Jesus, are one of the places where heaven and earth meet. Since we are with Christ now, when he returns, we will appear with him because we are hidden in him. Our future is secure, and this is our hope. This is our hope as God's people, because on that day when Jesus reappears, what is currently unseen will become seen. What is currently invisible will be made visible to all of the world and it will be undeniable. And it's because of this that your life of character and faithfulness to Jesus is not in vain. It's not in vain. Your life of character and faithfulness is not in vain. Think about my grandma. Her name was Lily. I shared, uh, a, I shared a part of her story, a, a part of her story about her death and her last words a, a few sermons back. But I wanted to share about how she lived because she lived to be 100 years old which is amazing in and of itself. But she lived a long life of faithfulness. One of the things she always used to say was that she wanted to live a life that was pleasing to Jesus. And she embodied the character of heaven because she focused on the things above that actually shaped how she lived on earth. She grew up throughout the Great Depression, she grew up in the Great Depression, lived in extreme poverty, and for many, many years had very little and lived a life of poverty. She and my grandpa got married um, as they worked really hard in blue collar jobs throughout their lives. They came to a place where they had enough resources where if they wanted to, they could have lived pretty comfortably. But you would have never known that by their lives. See, my grandma was committed to a life of radical generosity. Her life was marked by the priorities we talked about, about giving over getting, serving others over serving herself. She took the high road throughout her life 
She lived very simply, and she chose to forsake abundance. She chose to forsake worldly comforts, all for the sake of others. And even as I was trying to think of stories to share, there wasn't even one story that I could share about generosity in the sermon because there's so many examples throughout her life because she was willing and wanting to share with anyone, to all the members of our family and extended family, to their friends, to their neighbors. They lived in the same area for a very long time, and so they were blessing their neighbors. They were part of a a church in North Phoenix, and they were incredibly generous to this small church that they were a part of, to strangers, people they didn't even know they would be generous to. Anybody who had need, they were willing and wanting to meet. And every person loved my grandma, not just because she was an amazing woman, but it's because they experienced Jesus through her. Her life, her long life, a hundred years of faithfulness was not in vain. It wasn't in vain because Christ will appear and she will be with him. Her life wasn't in vain. And for you this morning, whatever you are going through, No matter how hard it is, whatever you are going through, hear me, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it because Christ will appear and you will appear with him. It's not in vain, it'll be worth it. And this means that living a life of character like my grandma is worth it. It means that it's worth taking the high road like Clark. It means that it's worth clinging to the security of Jesus above everything else like Eric. It's worth it. None of it is in vain because Jesus will appear. This is a guarantee. But the question I have for you this morning is what are you putting your hope in? If you pause and take an honest assessment of your life, and if you're honest, what are you putting your hope in? Are you looking to unreliable things that only deliver instant gratification? Or are you putting your hope in the unshakable reliability of Christ. Because church, Jesus is your hope. He is the one who took the high road and brought the character of heaven to earth. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and all of its shame in order to deliver you from captivity to the character of sin, in order that you could be with him and would be secure in him. And so as we come to communion this morning, the invitation this morning is to come to Jesus who took the high road so that you could be hidden in him. 
And so in, in a few moments, when we take communion, the elements represent the bread is his body that was freely given for you. And the wine or the juice is his blood that was shed in order that we could be united to Jesus. This is how union happens, is it's through his body given and his blood shed. And so would you pray with me? Jesus, we acknowledge that we need you. And Jesus, we are so grateful for our union. Lord, we are so grateful that you have hidden us with you. Lord, that we are secure in you, that nothing can strip us from you. Jesus, that we have a hope that is secure, that we can be confident in. And Jesus, that it is because of your body given and your blood shed that we can be a people of character who can take the high road as we live life in this world. Jesus, we desperately need your spirit to give us courage, to give us conviction, and to make us a people of character. And so Jesus, I pray for those who are suffering today. Lord, for those who are going through it, Jesus, that your spirit would minister to them, that you would speak to them. Jesus, that they would encounter you and your goodness in a very tangible, real way. And so Lord, we are so grateful for everything that you've done and what you're continuing to do in our lives and through us in our world. And so Lord, would you stir our hearts to worship you this morning, amen. So as we respond, I wanna invite you to sing loudly because God is worthy of our praise. If you need prayer and you're going through stuff, or if you wanna celebrate even, there's nothing too big, nothing too small. We would love to pray with you and pray for you. We have prayer teams on both sides of the sanctuary. And as we come to communion this morning, I wanna invite you to celebrate the reality instead of the misconception. <laughs>